The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a hand break off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone and welcome to Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic, our main focus on the pod today. will of course be yesterday's stroll in the park away win at Ellen Road. <laughs> and we'll take a look ahead to the rest of this mini season before the World Cup gets going in November. Uh, to do that, we're joined by Amy Lawrence and back for the first time in ages. Michael Cox is on the pod, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, morning, guys. Morning, Ian. Hello. Morning. Um, before we get going, yesterday at the game, we had the ridiculous spectacle of the teams all coming out, kicking off, and then, and then having to go back to the dressing room for half an hour as a technical issue with the officials' communication system. And also the VAR delayed the game. And thank heavens they sorted that out. Uh, so we were wondering whether our guests can remember delays or power cuts while they were watching a game. Michael, you were at the game yesterday. Did you know what was going on? Did it did it become apparent pretty quickly? Were you uh, in the loop? <laughs> uh, kind of, because someone from Leeds came around to all the journalists and said, essentially said, it's not our fault, it's the Premier League's fault. We've got everything <laughs> up and running. The Premier League can't get the VAR up and running. But it was one of those things. I mean, maybe the power cut affected their ability to broadcast messages to the fans, but it was almost like an extended VAR thing where the people at home knew what was going on, the journalists knew what was going on, but everyone in the crowd had absolutely no idea what was going on. Um, so it was slightly, slightly bizarre, yeah. Yeah, slightly bizarre. Amy, um, you've been in this situation before, have you not, at games which have been delayed for various reasons? Well, yeah, the the sort of iconic Arsenal one was back in 1998, which was Arsene Wenger's first full season. Uh, an away game at Wimbledon, the lights went out, all of a sudden, uh, and they all traipsed into the dressing rooms for a, you know to get it sorted. And it was while they were in the dressing room, remembering that Arsene Wenger was very new at this point, and nobody seemed to really know what was going on. That <laughs> uh, there was some discussion about what had happened, and Ray Parler, uh, as you might expect, decided that was the perfect time to um, throw in his Inspector Cluzo impression and said, "There's a boom." <laughs> um, which fans of the Pink Panther films um, will know well, but it's a wonderful piece of Peter Sellers. And I think that it was one of those situations where, you know, a lot of the players were trying, you know, you know that try not to laugh thing. And Arsene didn't really know what the joke was because the joke was that they used to call him Inspector Cluzo when he was doing some of his kind of absent-minded stuff. Yeah, anyway, that game got called off. It didn't get restarted. So it was a midweek uh at Wimbledon, and by the time that the game was replayed, I think it was. I think the, the deal with it later came out as it being some illegal betting scandal from the Far East or something like that to pull the plug on this match, and somebody was in on it and cut the electrics. Yeah, when they when they replayed the game, Arsenal won one nil with a goal from Christopher Ray, cousin of George Ware from Liberia. Fact fans, he was one of those guys that you need in a title winning team who just appears from sort of the periphery and does something absolutely vital. He scored three goals in one nil wins when he came in at a point where I think Ian Wright was injured and um, that helped Arsenal win the double. Good old Good Christian. omens of sorts to have games called out for electrical issues <laughs> in good seasons. 
Christopher Ray, by the way, uh, some of you may remember in the 1997-98 Cup final, we were issued at Wembley, we were issued a song sheet for all the players. This is uh, football, it seems like a thousand years ago now. Uh, Lee Dixon was uh, was to the tune of If I Was a Rich Man from uh, Fiddler on the Roof, If I Was Lee Dixon. <laughs> I'm not making this up. And Christopher Ray was um, from uh, a musical, which I, I can't remember now, uh, but it was... Uh, Whip crack away. So Christopher Ray, Christopher Ray, Christopher Ray, if you're a fan of musicals. <laughs> anyway, um, that's by the by. Um, I spoke to my dad yesterday evening uh, about this whole power cut thing and delays. And he, I can't remember this, but he is certain that we were at the Arsenal-Liverpool game in 1972 when Jimmy Hill, the TV pundit, had to come on and be a linesman after the original linesman, as they were called back then, did his knee ligaments, uh, which in the newspaper report said it's a bad enough injury for a man who's just running the line, let alone a player. <laughs> so it was just a slightly weird little fact. But anyway, uh, Jimmy Hill came on. There was a delay while he got some plimp soles on. <laughs> it was 1972, ladies and gentlemen. It was a long time ago. Saka, Cooper's with him. Saka scores. How on earth did he squeeze it in from there? Leeds United nil, Arsenal one. Bukayo Saka, my hand is on my heart when I say his name at this point. I absolutely love that boy. I think the realists amongst the fan base knew this was going to be a difficult game. Michael, I'm not sure how many fans appreciate, I'm not sure many fans, sorry, appreciate how difficult it is travelling to inside the Arctic Circle in midweek. By the way, having played Liverpool at the previous weekend, playing and winning on a plastic pitch against a team that won their last 14 home games in Europe, arriving back on Friday morning at some ridiculous hour, and then travelling to Leeds on Saturday for an earliest kickoff on Sunday at Raucous Ellen Road and winning that as well. So I'm surprised at some of the negativity I've seen. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a poor performance from Arsenal, but it is an anomaly so far. It's the first time in the league they've played poorly this season. And it was one of those games where I think they just have to take the three points and that's really all they can take from it. I mean, Leeds are a funny team. I don't think they've been particularly impressive so far this season, but the one time they have been impressive was when they played Chelsea and they beat them 3-0. So maybe they are one of those teams who who turn up more against the big opponents. But first yeah, was... off against Palace as well. They played really well first off against Palace. Okay, and they yeah. were all over them. And then Palace equalised them from then on. But they, they have got the ability. Yeah, they've got some good players and they've got some variety as well. I mean, Rodrigo had a terrible first half, didn't he, with that pass for the goal. And as soon as they brought on Bamford, it just changed the, the threat entirely. So, yeah, they, they got through it, Arsenal. I don't think they'll be kid, kidding themselves it was a good performance. But, uh, yeah, no. three points. Three points. I mean, Amy, the way that Jesse Marsh was talking about Mikel Arteta before the game, it suggested that he'd been studying at the Arsenal and the way we play quite closely. I mean, you didn't think this was going to be a stroll, did you? I mean, we all. I mean, we know Leeds from back in the day, but it's not easy going to Ellen Road and getting a result. I think you're right on both fronts. I think you're right that it didn't feel like... Uh... Uh, this was going to be a, a an easy game, but also the context is completely vital, but also typical of what this season is going to be like. It's going to be full of really difficult weeks with the way that the fixtures are falling and the uh, amount of intensity of schedule, throwing the travelling, the Thursday, Sunday thing. It, it's not easy. And I think that gives extra credibility to the run of results, really. Uh, in different circumstances. When you actually sit down and look at all the games in a row, Arsenal have had to have different types of games against different types of performers. And I think they are in that phase now where they want to 
focus on their game. You know, there was a, a time where Arsenal were much more focused on the opposition by necessity when they weren't as strong, but they've sort of flipped into that sort of mode where they feel like if we could play our game, but they couldn't play their game. So they just had to hang in there. And while the game in itself is not enjoyable uh, to experience, you know, the result is enormous. And I, I think that, I don't think the players and I, uh, will give a, a monkeys about the performance. They know how good they are. They know what they're good at and they know when they play what they can do. And they know that probably virtually every player, except maybe Aaron Ramsdale, was below the level that they've been playing for most of the season. But to come from a difficult match away from home with three points in that circumstance, it's the sort of thing that actually makes you allow yourself to wonder that a little bit more than I'm not allowing myself to think about this at all. Because <laughs> yeah. ordinarily you you probably, you know, lose, never mind draw that game. I mean, the way, the chances that Leeds had in the second half, they probably should have won, never yeah. mind got a point. And because it's a young team, you hope that they'll do a little bit of learning because there's going to be other games when they're tired and they've just come off the back of things and they need to perform better than that because they might not get so lucky next time around. No, they might not. But as you say, really a, a fantastic performance given the context. Oh, sorry, a fantastic result, I should say, given the context. Um, I mean, they've won nine of their opening 10 games in the top flight campaign for the first time in their history. Amy alluded to it there. Should Arsenal fans dream, Michael, at this point? I mean, I'm only asking the question. <laughs> just you ask because... it every week, Ian. I know. You're, you're just I, thinking I know. if you ask it enough that, I, I, you know, I, the sway will turn. We keep winning. We keep winning. The best start we've ever had. I mean, what's the expectations this year then, Michael? Well, I think the expectation at the start of the season was challenging for the top four. And it's not just Arsenal's own performance that means... That should happen. The other sides have not been very good. Liverpool have been below par. Chelsea have had to change their manager. Manchester United haven't been as good as I think could have been expected. So I think, you know, nothing's a, nothing, take nothing for granted. But, you know, it should be, I think, compared to pre-season expectations, a successful campaign. And I think to a certain extent, anything on top of that is a bonus. I think Manchester City are going to be too strong. But I can't really see who's going to challenge them if it isn't Arsenal. I mean... It, I'm not sure whether we consider it a two-horse race, but I just can't see anyone come, coming back into it from this position. So if we're going to have a title race this season, I think it is down to Arsenal. No, well, let's uh, keep it going. Let's talk about some of the individual performances. Amy, you mentioned Aaron Ramsdale there. Four saves, big saves. Uh, also, if you haven't seen the video of him celebrating in front of Leeds fans, take a look. Uh, and I'm saying that if you're not of a sensitive disposition, okay, because some of the language is ripe. Um, we haven't talked about Rambo that much, uh, Amy, in the last few weeks. We've talked about a lot of the outfield players because we've been great going forward and scoring goals. But this is a fourth clean sheet away from home in five Premier League games. He made some really big saves. His his favourite one, he said, was with his nuts. <laughs> uh, well, well done for putting them in the way, uh, Aaron, is all I can say. But he, it was, he was a big part of that victory yesterday, wasn't he? Well, I think it's a game like that where his presence and his confidence, as much as his ability, are really important because... Ideally speaking, you're defending as a team and most of this season Arsenal have been defending as a team, whereas it felt a bit like it was down to Ramsdale. I mean, he had to rescue Arsenal from errors single-handedly on too many occasions for comfort 
And I like the variety of the types of saves he made. I'm not talking about body parts. I'm just talking about, you know, someone more reliant on on agility and reactions and someone more reliant on, uh, you know, confidence and positioning. So as an all-round display, uh, it was really pleasing. But also at the beginning of the season, his, his distribution seemed a little bit off for a while. And there was a, a, a feeling that he maybe had a mistake in him coming. He just looked like he wasn't quite fully focused. But yesterday against Leeds kind of demonstrated that he's whatever he's doing in training or whatever he's doing in his mind, determined to get back to his best levels. And when you know, when he first joined the club and looked like he was so in his element that he felt like he could stop anything just by having a kind of force field. Looks like he's aiming for that to return, which is good news for Arsenal because if there is a day when there are defensive errors or the unit is not quite managing as it should, um, needs his press caused problems, Arsenal got bent out of shape. There were individual moments that were tricky. He was up to anything. And of course, he got a little bit lucky with the penalty, even though he did drive uh, dive the right way. Yeah, I thought he might have saved that actually if uh, if it was inside the post. But um, good, we didn't need to find out. Though. Yes, absolutely excellent, Michael. On this pod, regularly we we wax lyrical about Bukayo Saka. Uh, I spoke to Amy last week about about him. We've we've probably chatted to him about him five or six times in the last few weeks, but we haven't talked to you about him. I mean, that was it's his right foot. It's a stunning goal. I mean, the the stats on him involved in nine goals in his last 10 appearances for Arsenal in all competitions, five goals, four assists, his 50th goal involvement for Arsenal under Mikel Arteta in all competitions. The first player to reach that figure for the club since um, Mikel took charge. He is one of the two or three most important players that we have, right? Yeah, he's brilliant. I think he started the season a little bit slowly because I think he was a little bit isolated down that flank. I think he's come into his own last few games the more Ben White's been pushing forward, I think allows him a little bit of freedom to come inside. But yesterday, I thought was actually reverting to what he was faced with in the first few games where White was staying very deep. And it was all about Saka doing it on his own, really. And he did that brilliantly for the goal. I didn't think he was overly involved in this game, actually, but he always offered an attacking threat. And I think that's something you can say of Arsenal's attackers in general. Martinelli and, and Jesus as well, certainly not at their best. But just their movement, their kind of determination, there's a sense of that even if they're off form, I think they're always going to be dangerous players. Um, but yeah, Saka's fantastic. He's, he's a really, really good player. And I think it's worth pointing out, I think we always knew he was going to be a good player, but it was a question mark about precisely what role he'd play. And that's not really a question anymore. He, he's just so at home on the right-hand side. And um, like you say, yeah, one of one of Arsenal's most important players. Michael, did you think watching the game yesterday that, uh, and I wasn't there and I struggled to get any kind of um, feed to watch, so I was talking about the radio. But do you think what Bamford did when he came on was something that kind of identifies a little gap in Arsenal's makeup that maybe would help them to push on and have an extra dimension? Are there certain games where they could use a bit more of an authentic? target man style player than they really have at their disposal because both Jesus and Eddie and Ketia when he comes on tend to play with a you know much more mobility and roaming around up front rather than kind of being that pivot up top yeah I think you're probably right and I think what Bamford did well was I think he also offered those the qualities you say I mean he went in behind a couple of times and, and really caused problems with his pace but 
Yeah, it, like I say, Leeds were just a completely different side after he came on. They, they just changed the way they played and were a little bit more direct. And I think that did cause problems. But you're right. I think um, I think that you know goes back to the debate ten, fifteen years ago about a plan B, doesn't it? You know that mm. eternal question that's that's only ever not been a question when Carnu and Olivier Giroud have been at the club. But yeah, I, I think a player to, to come off the bench and offer a different option is uh, probably is something Arsenal are lacking. Yeah. Kevin Davis is the one I always go to. He's my go-to. <laughs> Someone who's basically really, really strong and good in the air can hold the ball up and offers a, a different way of playing. But we didn't have a lot of attacking yesterday. We had a couple of shots and none in the second half. Hello, James Richardson here, presenter of the Totally Football Show. It's a show about football and sometimes it's about life, and usually it's about an hour long. This Thursday, it's particularly about the midweek Premier League games. Ten Hag against Conte, South Coast derby dust-up between uh, Bournemouth and Saints, and the story tradition of the all-West London-Brentford-Chelsea clash. I'll be asking dumb questions. Duncan Alexander, Carl Anker and Ahmed Schubel will have clever answers, and you can find all of that by searching for The Totally Football Show wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. I wouldn't mind talking about Gabriel for a minute. Um, I thought he had a really good game yesterday. I thought he got in the way quite a lot, interceptions, tackles, but he sort of epitomised the way that we were playing, the backs to the wall defending, the sort of the thou shalt not pass bloody-mindedness of it all. One of our mates, Amy, uh, sent a message to our WhatsApp group saying it's like George Graham is back. <laughs> well, it was 1-0 to the Arsenal, wasn't it? It was. It was. It had that feel about it, though, didn't it? And obviously, the red card and penalty decision being overturned was the right was the right call. So uh, I wouldn't normally say this, but thank heavens for VAR. But I want to ask you both actually about the game management, um, Michael. I don't know if you noticed this. There was a moment midway through the second half when Granite Xhaka went down yeah. with what, at first glance, appeared to be an injury. And the entire rest of the team went over to the managers to take instruction. And I genuinely thought, he's not hurt at all here. This is just being done on purpose. They don't need Granite to take uh, the instruction because he sort of knows. He's the, the he's he's the, the manager's mouthpiece, so he would have understood anyway. But he thought, Mikel thought the rest of the team need uh, a little chat. Down went Granite and over went the rest of the team. Yeah, I noticed exactly the same. I knew what you were going to say there. It was quite obvious, wasn't it? Um, yeah, I thought that was interesting. I thought there were a few interesting elements of yesterday's game, actually, in that respect. I mean, James McNicholas wrote a, an interesting piece on the site, I think, last week about, you know, the huddles after goals, and there does seem to be more communication. And the thing I noticed was that, obviously, the game was stopped after about 75 seconds. And the Arsenal play, the, the Leeds players kept on kind of, they got a couple of balls out and were knocking it between them. And the Arsenal players almost straight away went over to Arteta, who then suddenly was giving them a two or three minute team talk with quite specific instructions. And I wondered what he'd seen in the first 75 seconds. <laughs> you know, was he just repeating what he'd said in the in the dressing room beforehand? Or was this new information based upon the game? I don't know, but it's clearly 
I mean, he is a communicative manager, isn't he, Arteta? He's, I mean, he's always outside his technical area. He's always shouting very specific instructions. Um, and yeah, I agree with you, Ian. I thought that was a little bit of a suspicious injury. I didn't didn't see him limping at all after he'd received treatment. So he clearly got over it quite quickly. He did. But I, I, but I talk further about that, Amy. I mean, I, the only word we can really use, the housery of the way that are some of the things that Arsenal are doing now. When, um, when Bamford got the penalty, did you see Gabriel just in his ear? for the entire time, really, for about two minutes before he took that penalty. We never used to do stuff like that. And certainly the the older, more cynical fans would sit there and go, please, can we not do that? Can we not do some more tactical fouling? Can we not do what the other big teams do? We're doing that stuff now. Well, if you can't beat them, join them in that regard. You know, if this is um, percentage points that might work in your favour, you can't afford in a game of fine margins to let other teams do something that you're not doing if it might have an influence. I mean, as long as it's within the regulations, you, I don't think anybody really wants to see the team take it too far, but you've got to do what you've got to do, you know? When you're top of the table, every every little tiny detail that helps, you grab. Yeah, fine margins, and uh, we seem to be getting on the right side of them so far. Michael, you were at the game yesterday. Amy, did you manage to watch the game yesterday? No, there was the... Uh, Search for a, some sort of stream scenario going on, which was quite fruitless. And what feeds did sort of appear were quite frustratingly several minutes behind the play. And I didn't have the brain power to listen to the uh, quite intense commentary on BBC Radio 5 Extra. It's and tough, watch, isn't it? Watch something from yeah. it, that was, that had, you know, was completely out of sync with that. You weren't, um, you weren't searching for the first half hour when there was no play, were there? Yeah. Well, I was searching for a bit until I realised that there was something afoot. And they were, yeah, it was, it was, it was like, oh god, this bloody stream is like really behind because you know it's not started yet. But then I think word got around fairly quickly on the internet, if not for people in the stadium, what was going on. We were um, um, the thing was the reason I asked uh, Amy that question was because we were just chatting before we came on about how difficult it was to watch that game. Um, I managed to watch it on a stream, but we were saying beforehand how ridiculous it is that a game a game between a team at the top of the table... By the way, Manchester United and Newcastle also was not on live TV yesterday. They chose uh, Aston Villa against Chelsea and then, fairly obviously, Liverpool against Man City later on in the afternoon. There must be a way of sorting this out. I mean, I think all of us, all of us would be happy to pay... Uh, a small amount for these games. I mean, you know, a fiver to watch the game live on TV. We just transfer it on a credit card. It's We do that all the time for downloading movies. Why not football, Michael? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I am a, a strong defender of the kind of Saturday 3pm blackout. But when those games are moved away from Saturday 3pm, I, I don't understand who this is benefiting. Um, I understand it's not in the original TV contract. But so what? There's cameras there. There's broadcast teams there. The game has been showing live, uh, been shown live around the world. I don't understand it at all. I think if the game's on Sunday, um, because of the Europa League commitments, change the change the deals. Just just put the games on. I, I can't see any reason to argue against that. And Amy, as Michael said, everyone else around the world can watch the game. Yeah, it is quite weird. I'd, I'd quite like to know the. Um... The rough numbers. I mean, it would be interesting to try and speculate as to how many people would want to be watching Leeds Arsenal or 
Man United Newcastle of a wow. Sunday afternoon and then multiply that by a fiver or whatever it might be. And there shouldn't be any additional cost, as Michael says, to actually getting the game broadcast because people are there broadcasting it anyway. It's it's kind of bonus money. And if part of the blackout, Saturday blackout uh, scenario is is the problem, there could be a financial benefit that goes to those lower league clubs. So part of the fiver that you spend or whatever it might be, you know, a pound or whatever, goes to those lower league clubs as a sort of compensation for if they end up losing any gate money. I just think that these days it, it, it's it's an it's a, a a a rule that was made with all the right reasons, but a very long time ago, and it feels anachronistic in the modern world. It certainly does. Uh, if you want to know how many Arsenal fans would have wanted to watch it right now, I'd imagine you take all the Arsenal fans and divide it by one. And that's all the Arsenal fans. I think every Arsenal fan, and I would imagine most Leeds fans as well. On this subject, though, of of, uh, of streaming games, um, away games as well. In America, a friend of mine said, in America, you can buy away season tickets for the TV. Uh, you pay a fiver per game or something like that. And then if your team is playing away, you pay that money and it's broadcast. You, you get a code and it... You can watch it at home, in the comfort of your own home. And um, yeah, it, as Amy said, it does feel a little anachronistic anyway. one nil to the Arsenal. Nice to hear that again. Uh, this is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Ian Stone, Amy Lawrence and Michael Cox here on Handbrake Off from The Athletic. Let's talk a little bit about Mikel Arteta. In the first half, we did talk about how communicative he is as a coach. I mean, he's got his record, obviously, in the last 10 games, is pretty matchless, one nine out of 10. And he should, we should have won the other one as well. <laughs> Didn't start so well, but he, he obviously um, picked up uh, a team in, in uh, transition from Unai Emery, uh, let's say. Michael, you've watched him evolve as a coach do you see I mean obviously the results would suggest this but do you see a substantive improvement week on week and month on month certainly a substantive improvement I think it's that phrase is interesting week on week month on month because I think when you get these managers who have a bit of a project you know for want of a better word where it's kind of two or three years taking them from sixth or seventh in the league towards being a title contender it's never kind of linear. It never happens kind of as incrementally as you think. There'll be periods where you think, hang on, is anything improving here? And then there'll be sudden, you know, I guess like this season when Jesus comes in, Zinchenko brings in, where suddenly there's a few leaps forward. So I've always liked Tateta. I loved him as a player. I thought it was a, a bit of a gamble to appoint him, but a gamble worth taking at the time. But I, I also must concede that there was a period kind of midway through that behind closed doors season particularly going into the Chelsea game, I think in December 20, 2020 must have been, where I was really kind of thinking if, if Arsenal lose two or three games here, Arteta's going to be in big trouble. So I, I'm pleased Arsenal stuck with him and trusted in the process and all that. But uh, I think it's fair to say there's been a few wobbles along the way as well. But um, they're playing really good football at the moment, like you say, uh, 10 games into the season uh, and not just nine wins, but nine good performances, I would say. I think the exceptions are not the same. I think they played quite well at Manchester United and lost and played quite uh, poorly yesterday and won. But yeah, if you're playing well and winning 90% of your games, you're doing pretty well. And the football, Amy, I mean, I heard a lot of people moaning about Mikel Arteta's football, certainly in the first season. Um, 
I might have been one of them, <laughs> actually. <laughs> and there might have been some other voices on this podcast. But the football, some of the football, even in with our poor performance, there was a move yesterday that ended with uh, Jesus being fouled on the edge of the penalty area. But if he gets that ball to Martinelli and Martinelli scores, that is one of the great Premier League goals. There were about eight or nine first-time passes and and my mate who I was watching a game with was shouting telepathic football at the TV, which is what it feels like. The football uh, has improved, has it not? And you've got to give that to Mikel Arteta. Well, the football has improved. The tempo has improved. Um, I, I just have this sort of like generic feeling of sort of fairly early to middle Arteta era of being A, quite pedestrian uh, and slow and B, sort of quite a lot of side to side without really feeling it was going anywhere and see just that, that, that period of time where the, it felt like the only tactic was to get it to Kieran Tierney for a cutback. And um, He was good at those though, wasn't he? He, he was good, good at them, but it was not sufficient really for, a, for being top of the Premier League, let's no. be honest. You need a little <laughs> bit more than that. And to have evolved from that to a kind of a real sense of team play from front to back and back to front and side to side where it feels like there's a kind of a connectivity a, a collective confidence uh, a creativity across the board where that's their instincts now to play like that if they can it might not work every every game they certainly could do much of it at Ellen Road and found another way just about but in general there's a reason that everybody's very, very excited to go and watch the team because I think they're loving the football as well as the results. Yeah, yeah. So that being the case, Michael, what's the next step in the process? I mean, we have talked before about maintaining the level. I mean, I don't think anyone thinks that Arsenal are going to finish top of the table this year with Manchester City the way they are. This doesn't feel like Leicester when all the other big teams just sort of blew it. We got we got Man City and Haaland. I mean, it's obvious they can be beaten, but that's at Anfield with Liverpool playing pretty much the best they've played all season. But where do we go from here? Then do we? I mean, do we buy in a a, a sort of Olivier Giroud type centre forward as a as a plan B in January, and then we've got a bit more cover there? Do, what's the next step in the process? I think just general strengthening of the squad. I don't really look at the, the starting eleven and think there's a massive weakness anywhere. But I think probably in a few positions, maybe central midfield, probably another option up front. I think it's just general strengthening to be done. And I think it's interesting, I mean, we're talking about Arsenal in relation to Manchester City. It's worth remembering it was going to be Arsenal-Man City this week if it wasn't the PSV game that was moved to this week. And I wonder whether actually that might help Arsenal I just feel like if Arsenal played Man City this week and were beaten, I think City would start as favourites. Maybe it would be a bit of a setback and dent the confidence a bit. So I, I kind of think that just putting off that game, I mean, we're, you know, Arsenal are going to play them twice at some point between now and May. But I think just putting off that game probably works quite well for Arsenal at the moment. Yes, I would say. I mean, our next four fixtures, Southampton away, Nottingham Forest at home, Chelsea away and Wolves away. Um Three away games. We've kept four clean sheets out of five away from home. So we're we're pretty solid away from home. Those are the games going up to the World Cup. And we've also got PSV in the Europa League. Well, I'm not quite sure what the question is here, really. But Southampton away. I mean, I look at those games and aside from Chelsea, I think they're all winnable. But is this me getting a bit carried away, Amy? 
you don't say. Yeah, I know. I know, I know. But I, <laughs> Look, it's an Anton away think... Forest at home and Wolves away are games that we should win playing the best that we play. Well, that that's that second part of that sentence is important, playing the best you can play. If they throw in a couple more of those Leeds performances, they might not get away with it, number one. And number two is the absolute key, I think, to this Arsenal run is is fitness. And I think that Arsenal have been relatively fortunate with uh, the injury situation this year. And obviously Zinchenko is struggling a bit to get any consistent fitness. Tierney had a bit of time out at the beginning. Tommy Asu a bit of time out at the beginning, but the cover was, you know, was strong and available. Uh, not that not having had any major problems with the attacking players apart from Smith Rowe, who's obviously not going to be around till the new year. But you know, Saka's played every game. Martinelli's played every game more or less. Jesus has been available whenever needed, apart from the Europa League. And having that, you know, Saliba and Partey. Uh, strong spinal players uh, available most of the time. It, it it hasn't been a major issue so far this season. If a couple go down in particularly important positions, then any of those four games you mentioned could suddenly become a whole lot more difficult. So I think that keeping everybody uh, with a good level of, um, you, you know, where they're feeling physically strong, mentally strong, and they're relishing playing, and they're not carrying any knocks, that's going to be vital. Thomas Partey is another one of those, isn't he, uh, Michael? Those players that we really can't afford to lose? I think so. I think the Manchester United display where Lekonga came in for him shows that Partey is quite important. And that's yeah. not a dig at Lekonga. He's just he's relatively young, he's relatively inexperienced, and he'll probably take 18 months or so before he's at the right level. But yeah, I, I, I would agree with you on that. One more thing before we go. Uh, up next, PSV. In the Europa League at six o'clock, an early kickoff, or that's uh, uh, that's time over here in uh, in the United Kingdom uh, against um, Ruud van Nistelrooy's PSV. Amy, are you looking forward to greeting him when he comes to the Emirates on Thursday night? Yeah, that'll probably be um, <laughs> amusing. But it's all about. I think it's let's not get sidetracked because the task for Arsenal is to to get out of the group and top of the group as quickly as possible. It's just, you know, it would be fantastic to uh, to win the game and be virtually assured more or less of top spot with a couple of games to go. Because and two less games, yes. Exactly. And I think that Arteta will... And that's, again, timing-wise, although there's no travel this week, it's still a, a, an important match. Um, so quite how he rotates and what he chooses to do and the strength of the team... Uh, will be an interesting thing to observe, but he has played fairly strong. I mean, there's always been a very strong bench in these Europa games thus far. So get it out of the way. I don't care about the result. Just try and get the points a little bit like Leeds, to be completely honest, and uh, and move on to the weekend. Quite. Michael, you know, we do a thing here on the pod where we have a song to finish. We each have our roles to play in this. Uh, Adrian Clark, when he's on the pod, is really the cheesiest song chooser it's possible to have. Uh, I wonder where you're going at the moment with uh, with the songs. What have you got? Uh, obvious theme, but after yesterday's power cut and in honour of the new Arctic Monkeys album coming out on Friday, I've got an Arctic Monkeys song that's just called Electricity. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So, by the way, the power cut, 
Did that was that across the whole stadium yesterday, or was that just uh, no? Well, it it didn't affect the advertising hoardings. It did affect the big screen. I think my Wi-Fi went down for a couple of minutes, although I might have just done something wrong on my computer. Right, the big screen, the big screen, yeah, the big screen went down, so they couldn't broadcast any messages on that. There wasn't any PA announcements for about twenty minutes. It was, it was, it was very odd. And actually, a minute or about thirty seconds into the game, all the lights in the stand went off as well. So. Yeah, there was clearly some kind of wider problem. Very odd. Okay, well, at least we've got the game done. Amy, what have you got for us, song-wise? It's a bit of a quirky one, this. Uh, But um, alludes to being lucky, alludes to being top of the league, and a nod to Aaron Ramsdale, Lena Lovich, with Lucky Number. Uh, it couldn't be odder. You probably didn't need me to do an impression of Lena Lovage. Um, it wasn't bad, though. It wasn't bad, though. I mean, anyone who hadn't heard the song would go, what? But when well, you listen we... to the song, you'll go, oh, yeah, that, that's exactly what it sounds like. Very strange. Lena Lovage, 1978, I believe. Um, and well, I'm also going, I'm I'm having uh, I'm having Kylie, a bit of Kylie. Uh, uh, I, I was never a massive fan of Kylie, and I saw her at Glastonbury a few years ago, and it was such fun in the, in the Sunday afternoon sunshine. And, of course, also on the theme of uh, lucky, I should be so lucky. Um, oh, Crikey. It's a terrible song. Oh <laughs> I'm not saying it's not. And you but... have a go at you have a go at Adrian about his choices. <laughs> uh, at the moment, oh, I'm in that sort of weird my. state. <laughs> Bless you for being so uh I don't know, snobbish. <laughs> About your music. Wouldn't have it any other way. Having just chosen <laughs> Lena Lovitch, by the way. But anyway, we'll move on. Um, that's it for the Arsenal podcast. Uh, handbrake off on the Athletic. Thank you to Michael Cox. Thanks to Amy Lawrence and thanks to Guy, our producer. And um, thank you, listener, for listening. Enjoy the week. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> 